Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. In this episode, we continue in the series of podcasts looking at soils. In previous podcasts in the series, we chatted to Professor Mike McLaughlin about the basics of soils and how fertilizers interact with the soils after application. Mike came back again and again to the need for accurate identification of key parameters such as pH, P, K and other trace elements. There are many different types of soil tests which Irish farmers can purchase, but only one method which is acceptable to the Department of Agriculture as an official soil test, which is the Morgan's P. However, whichever soil test method you use, regular testing is necessary, but also having the confidence that the test method is scientifically valid for our soils and also knowing what to do with these results as a means of practical action on the farm is critical for success. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Karen Daly, a Senior Research Officer in Environmental Science working in Johnstown Castle. Karen, you've been working for some time in Johnstown. You might outline some of the main areas you've been working on over the past number of years. So my area is in soil science. So anything to do with soil and how uh, it interacts with the environment and how it interacts with crops. Um, Specifically, um, I focused a lot on nutrients like phosphorus and on different ways of measuring phosphorus and how it um, how it interacts with water and how it interacts with plants. And then more recently into new methods for soil analysis and and for capturing as much data as you can with um, novel methods of soil analysis. And of course, the measuring all of those elements within a soil kind of works into, uh, I suppose, if you like a healthy soil or a soil that that that, that functions really well. Is there um, a European um, law, maybe I say, or directive coming out around that area at the moment? There is indeed. There's the soil health law, which will be um, legislative by 2023. So the Commission has already started talking to member states, including Ireland, about what a soil health law, law might look like. Um, what the Commission has in mind is something that looks like a directive, kind of like the Water Framework Directive. So it will have um, a framework for what a healthy soil might look like. And they would like all soils in Europe to be of healthy status by 2050. So that will involve monitoring and measuring. And um, for any soils that are not healthy, um, that will involve a programme of measures. And um, so we're yet to define or see what that means. What does a healthy soil look like? Um, How is it defined by the Commission? But I would imagine, and and just having been involved in some of the discussions around it, um, it's about getting the basics right. So looking at um, the soil quality so your soil chemistry your soil physics and and some of the biology and some of that is measurable and some of it is visual so but I, I think there's going to be a lot more focus on a holistic view of soils rather than uh looking at one specific parameter I, I I actually don't envy them their job because I know certainly on on farms around me or even here in Oak Park in 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 Carlo uh, there could be 15 or 20 different soils in this farm alone never mind Never yeah. mind all the way across Ireland uh, or all the way across Europe, because I'm sure a healthy soil in uh, in Spain uh, is probably looks very different to a healthy soil up here. So yeah, it's, uh, absolutely. But it, it kind of all comes back to the focuses on functions. So what do we want the soil to do? So if we think about 
the soil functions and that could be um you know it could be primary production producing food raw materials it could be for uh, carbon capture it could be for water infiltration and water purification nutrient cycling there's a lot of different functions that soils perform so i think the 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 narrative around the soil health law will be around having a healthy ecosystem so it can provide the ecosystem services or the soil functions. So again, it comes back to what are those key parameters that you um, that are that are important for you for that soil and, and for what you wanted to do. So that's kind of where they're coming from there. Okay. And talking about different types of soils, different types of environments. Um I suppose look there's a core test probably at the at the heart of that. And there are probably many different tests out there that can be used to test pH or P's and K levels in those soils. You might give us an idea of maybe some of the most popular ones that are used around the world in some different environments and why they're I suppose for the most part more suitable to those countries maybe than than what we use here in Ireland, which is the Morgan's test. Yeah, so like the Morgan's test is is something that we've adopted here as our kind of national soil test for major nutrients like phosphorus, potassium. You can also analyze for for magnesium in the Morgan's extract as well. And um, that suite also comes with pH and lime requirements. So they're kind of like the building blocks of, of getting the nutrients balanced and getting the environment right in the soil. But other countries have adopted different tests. Um, but if you think the, the fundamental um, basis of any test is to try and see what the plant sees. So to try and simulate what's happening at the root zone. Um, and that's what they're designed for. They're all mostly chemical tests. So they'll they'll be a cocktail of reagents um, mixed together at a specific pH and um, used to extract out available forms of the nutrients that are in the soil. Um, our test goes back to um, uh, a calibration trial that was first ran in 1976. Um, in Chagask, and we kind of calibrated the Morgan's P test to our soils, to Irish soils. Um, and the Morgan's P test is very good and very efficient on nutrient and slightly acidic soils. And the majority of Irish soils, Irish agricultural soils, would be in that in that bracket. There are exceptions to that. Um, there's there's often you know limestone limestone soils which can be slightly alkalinic, but um, by and large, the Morgan's P test, when it's when it's compared against other tests, which we we did back in the in the mid nineties, we reran the phosphorus trial again, and we recalibrated just to see if we could improve the calibration for Morgan's P, um, for grassland and for um, for crops, and um, by including a, a, a wider variety of soils. And we we still um, we kind of adjusted the P index system on the back of that. And we looked at Morgan's P as a test, as a standalone test, along with other tests like Malik, Bray, Olson, Colwell, calcium chloride extractable P, water soluble extractable P. But Morgan's P came out as the best predictor for Irish soil. So we've we've stuck with that since. And that has been it's been a very good indicator for for um, fertilizer requirement. And also, um, you know, it's it's used that, I suppose, as an indicator of you might be excessive if you have excess pee in the system. It's um, it's a risk indicator then in terms of water quality, trying to avoid losses of pee. Karen, can I can I just bring you back just a little yeah. bit? You talked there just a little bit about um, about most of these tests or their chemical kind of process. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that they um, will look at the available P or available nutrients in it. 
is there is there any of those tests that you talked about before the Malik and the Olsons and some of those are, are they all doing the same or is, or is there any of them that actually can measure the total volume of pee and people might get confused at, at that or is there any sense, sense of that so what I will say from the start is that nutrients like phosphorus or potassium or, or sulfur or calcium, they can exist in various forms in soil. So there'll be the total amount of that P in the soil or potassium, but it's the available fraction of that total P that we're interested in. And that's the available fraction that the plant can see. So all of the tests are chemical tests. So there'll be a mix of you know, um, weak acids or a mix of alkali solutions, um, but they're all trying to stimulate the same thing. They're trying to just extract out that very discrete fraction of available major nutrient, whether it's phosphorus or whether it's potassium or whether it's calcium or whatever, whatever you're interested in. It's really the available, the plant available fraction that we want to see in the test. Um, in order to get the total amount of pea in a soil sample, you would have to completely digest the soil uh, you'd have to break it down. So you've got organic forms of phosphorus in soil and organic forms of potassium, et cetera, that are, you know, they're they're not easily uh, soluble and they're not readily plant available. So they have to be broken down first. So if you think of total P, for example, it's a function of many different fractions. So the organic fraction, the inorganic fraction, the stable fraction and the plant available fraction. But um, for agronomic soil pea testing, um, it's really that plant available fraction that we're interested in. And that's what all of those tests are designed to extract. Just extract that fraction because that's the only fraction that we're interested in. And, and of course, none of these tests are absolutely 100 um, percent accurate. And as you said, you went back and you retested the Morgans to, in, in the 90s to kind of see how close it was. In terms of accuracy, does it is it kind of seventy percent accurate, eighty percent accurate, or what? What's the you kind of do a line or a chart basically to kind of figure out where it is? Where is that for your typical Irish soil? And maybe the second point of that then is that does that change? Does it get a bit more tricky then when the pH in the soil, the natural pH in the soil, rises quite a bit? First off, I will say you know no test is 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 going to be universal across all soil types. There is going to be a couple of wildcard soils in there that the test isn't very efficient at, at extracting out that available fraction of P from. So for Morgan's P, it works really well on neutral and slightly acidic soils. But if your soil is above a pH of eight, the Morgan's P test isn't, isn't all that reliable. It's pretty good on everything else, but not that reliable on, on very, very alkaline soils. Um, and that's where another test like Malik or Olsen might come in, um, in, in terms of capturing um, a better assessment of what the available fraction is. The other thing I will say about Morgan's P is that if you have a really peaty soils, and this might not be something that tillage farmers would typically be on, but for some of the more extensive farmers in on under grassland, if their soil is very high in organic matter, like above 20% um, uh, by loss and ignition, that's that's the quick test that we use for, for organic matter. Above 20% organic matter, Morgan's P is less reliable because you're getting a lot of interference from all that organic matter in the sample. So they're the two criteria that we try and um, look at 
you know, in terms of what soil type or what features we might be interested in, in terms of assessing whether the test is an accurate result. By and large, the accuracy is pretty good. I can't give you a percentage because I, I just don't remember what it is from the from the trials back in the in the mid 90s. But it works quite it works pretty good or pretty well for the majority of soil types, apart from those two caveats. And and in terms of then, you mentioned uh, along the line, the Malik and Olsen test. And if I can remember rightly, the Olsen is what is is used probably quite extensively in the UK. Yeah. And the Malik, uh, I'm not really sure, but I know, I think on the on the department test or the suite or the free test, I suppose, or the free test scheme they had on it, I think Malik was included in there uh, as part of that. Are are they doing pretty much the same thing, but just different names or is there a differential between the two? Yeah, absolutely. Like the Olsen test, that goes back to, um, that obviously was developed and uh, chosen in the UK. Um, It's also adopted in in Northern Ireland as well. It's... um, it's an alkali solution, so it's it works quite well on on kind of fairly basic soils. Um, the Malik three, uh, the Malik test, um, has been modified various stages over the years. So we're on the Malik three version. Um, that's widely adopted, I'd say, in the US. Quite a lot of US states use Malik. The nice thing about Malik is that not only does it extract phosphorus. In an, in an available and, you know, uh, plant available form, but it can also extract other elements that you can't capture in Morgan's P, uh, the Morgan's test, like aluminium, iron, calcium, sulfur, manganese, copper, zinc. I could go on and on and on um, a whole suite of of metals, but available metals. So metals in an available form, not their total elemental composition, but their available form. And that's often really useful information because it's it may not be, you know, information that we can apply to an index for aluminium or iron, but it's useful at telling us what that soil type is. So often if you have a soil that's very high in aluminium, you might expect a lot of phosphorus fixing. So you might look at the pH then and see if it's slightly acidic and bring the pH up to what it should be. And so you kind of reduce that aluminium, you know, the the effect of aluminium, which is to sort of fix phosphorus and make everything fairly insoluble. And then also if there's a lot of calcium in the soil, you might then realize that you're on a fairly high calcium soil or you might be and the pH might be above eight. So it gives you a lot of information about the soil itself rather than, you know, I suppose, you know, you don't need 10 elements in in a soil test or we don't have 10 indices for every for every element. But um, it just provides a more a good overview of what that soil is like. And you can link that to the phosphorus behavior in the soil. Um, so Malik is is part of the department's free test scheme for that reason. You know, it tells us a little bit more about the soil than Morgan's does. And then they're trying to sort of see if we can um, build a relationship between Morgan's and Malik to convert one from the other. And um, so that's kind of what that's what we started doing here in Chagas as well. OK, so that should, should add to the overall, overall information. It's not just something for researchers is something that uh, a farmer can use on the ground if, if, if they had that uh, information coming come back. Yeah. But as you say, we don't necessarily have a um, a particular indices for, for the various different elements in it. No, no, it's 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 not about plugging an index, uh, plugging the aluminium or the iron or those values into an index. It's just about um, being able to sort of look at values that might tell you something about the soil and about it 
better. It'll probably still still take a bit of expertise to 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 kind it of would, yeah. work down through it to kind of figure out what what they all mean. Yes. Another, right. another test out there that, that that a number of farmers have have um, have decided to look at, and again it gives a whole heap of various different elements in it, which is the Malik or sorry the Albrecht test. Yeah. And it has an awful lot of um, not just the elements in it, but the predictors of or or um, assessment, I suppose, of the of the. Uh, of the test result, which gives highs and lows and various different things. What's the thinking around that test? Can it add anything to the Morgan's test that we already have? Well, I think the thinking perhaps might be around looking at um, ratios of one cation to another or looking at the cation exchange capacity. Um, we don't have any recommendations on the back of, of, an, of a test like Albrecht. It's probably useful for, for you know, research purposes and understanding a little bit about your soil type and what, you know, its, its behavior might be in terms of how it might sort of react with, with um, how, you know, added fertilizer or, or, or phosphorus or whatever. But it, um, I'm not sure that, it's, that it would add any additional value above and beyond what we can do with Morgans because we can extract magnesium and potassium um, as well as phosphorus from the Morgan's test. So you can get those those elements as well in their available form, which is where we want them to be um, in the test. And you can make your adjustments based on that. So I'm not sure that it adds any any more value to um, having that on top of a Morgan's test or and Morgan's will also give you, you know, that suite that we that that is offered will also give you lime requirement and pH. So if you can get those right, you know, you're onto a good start before you launch into anything else. And I suppose then the next end of end of it, if you have a reasonably good test, um, but it takes a bit of time and you're limited to the amount of, uh, I suppose you can take them down to a per hectare or, or even less if you want, but for the most part, farmers are probably going to do it on a kind of four hectare. The holy grail, I suppose, for this going along the line of precision um, agriculture and being able to apply uh, the exact amount in the right place yeah. would be a more rapid test, something that maybe could be brought to the field and you could, build up a map in that way it, what's what, what's coming down the tracks is are there new tests that you're looking at at the moment yeah so it, it's not so much a new test but just a new way of testing um so the move towards green chemistry now is is growing by which i mean trying to move away from using harsh extractants you know acids and alkali solutions because that generate a lot of chemical waste and trying to use technologies that can give you the same results so in essence, we're using light in in particular infrared. So it's about shining a, a beam of infrared onto a soil sample. And with a detector, we can build up a sort of a, it, it looks like a spectrograph. So it's a graph with lots of peaks and where those peaks are positioned along the graph can tell us how much um, sand, silt, clay, organic matter, carbon, what the lime requirement might be. So there's a lot of parameters that you can get from um, from this method. It's called soil spectroscopy. Um, spectroscopy has been around since the 1800s, but it's only in the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years that it's been used on soils. Um, it gives you information, but the only thing it, it, I would say is that it doesn't give you those major nutrients like phosphorus um, that are very dynamic in available forms. So there are some soil properties that are spectrally active. So we'll see peaks on the spectrograph that we can assign to carbon, organic matter, um, like I said, sand, silt and clay, um, some of the clay minerals. If you want to get really into, you know, 
the sort of the nuts and bolts of what the building blocks of the, of the soils are. But one thing you can't use it for will be available phosphorus. So I don't think the Morgan's P-test is going to go away anytime soon. We're always going to need that. The soil spectroscopy tool is, is going to be able to give us a little bit more of a handle on, say, the soil functions. So it's back to the soil health thing again, having a bit more of an overview of the soil. Um, especially now that carbon is going to be, uh, well, is rather, you know, a very important uh, function in the soil. And if we're going to go down the road of carbon trading, then a tool like soil spectroscopy could be able to capture, you know, uh, percentage carbon in, in soil. So, so so when you say, Karen, there, uh, when you say it, it, it won't be terribly useful for phosphorus in terms of the availability of it, is it the same for, for potash as well or, or some of the other uh, nutrients um, you know, like some magnesium yeah. or zinc or whatever it will yeah. it will it will it will it tell you anything about that or do you still have to go back to a soil test for those no i think it it there's there's scope to get potassium and some of the other elements that have a spectral signature or or are spectrally active in infrared and also there's another tool called x-ray fluorescence so xrf they can give us an idea on elemental composition so like if xrf is quite widely used for looking at heavy metals but it can also look at lighter metals like aluminium and iron and calcium and infrared can give you potash can give you potassium and um give you if you can calibrate it for magnesium so but they're all kind of um there i would say they're a little bit in development um you have to calibrate it with some lab data first before you can get it working uh, so yeah i mean for the major nutrients like those the, the important ones that you need um, like the available phosphorus, you know, you still have to go back to your Morgan's P-test for that. But, you know, for other things, um, and it can capture it in one 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 zap, rather, of, of the soil sample, you can get multiple parameters. So you could spend a couple of weeks analysing for particle size, organic matter, carbon, lime requirement, and a couple of other things. And, you know, so, but this this method will will remove the time and the costs involved in getting those parameters. Factors. And how, how far away do you think that those these tests are going to be? Or, or, or are they affordable for a, I don't know, can we get it into a kind of a handheld type scenario or is yeah. it more kind of a semi-machine coming at you kind of thing? Well, we've we've done the proof of concept bit at the bench. So we've, we have the... I suppose the spectrometer that sits on top of the bench has has done its job and and we've kind of developed calibrations for a lot of different soil properties. So we've got one for soil particle size and then texture. We can get texture from that, whether it's a, a clay loam or a sandy clay loam or whatever. Um, and we've got one for organic matter and lime requirement. The next step for us now is to tr sort of move that progress that from the bench to the handheld. So we have a couple of handheld instruments um, that we're looking at, but it, it's about getting over the sample prep. So when you're in the lab, you've got a nice dry sieved sample, but when you're out in the field, it's a completely different thing. So I'd say we're probably two or three years away from getting the field level analysis ready, but we have the analysis pretty much done at the bench. Now, it's I wouldn't say it's rolled out on a commercial basis yet. We have a you know, we're kind of developing these kind of methods for people in research who might want to um, screen a lot of soil samples for a couple of properties instead of waiting for the labs to come back with a lot of analysis. It's handy for that. Um, but it's not a commercial venture just yet. So I think there's probably a step to go yet before we can go from the bench to have it commercially available. But it's all in the process.
Okay. So you can obviously go nuts with something like that out in the field. If it was a handheld, you could take a, 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 you know, hundreds of different um, um, yeah. things yeah. if you want to. But anyway, we'll, we'll roll that maybe is in the future, but we'll roll back a little bit uh, from that. In terms of your normal soil sampling, we'll finish up on this question, but in terms of your normal soil sampling scenario, um, we have, I suppose, lots of legislation, whether it's five or four or three hectares, uh, all the way down then to kind of your precision sampling, which kind of does it on a, on a per hectare kind of sample. From your point of view, what is the ideal level in, in terms of that intensity? It comes back to, you know, how you're going to manage it. So sample at the resolution that you're planning to manage the soil. So if it's if it's nutrients, you know, you're, you're probably going to manage them on the four hectare basis. And so it's stick with that recommended spatial sampling. And um, if you're looking at soil health, for example, and you're worried about, say, a part of the field that might be compacted, some of the sampling and testing methods, um, and most of them are visual now, there's, there's a few of them that have been rolled out. There's the visual soil assessment that you can do um, for tillage sites where you can look down, you can sort of dig the spade down to 25 centimetres or 40 centimetres to try and get an idea of if there's any sort of compaction issues. So you could do them on whatever resolution or whatever spatial scale that you think um, might be appropriate for the field that you're in. You know, if you think the headlands might be compacted rather than the main field, you can do it that way. And so there's no end to, to know, you know, how how high a resolution you can go. Um, but I guess it comes back to how you're how you're prepared to manage it after that. What are you going to do with that data? And, you know, you could have 100 samples from a field or one sample from a field. So are you going to manage it on a, you know, 100 different management units or or one management unit? <laughs> exactly. No, no. Well, I suppose, look at certainly for the likes of um, um, P's and K's and some of those kind of things that with, with the uh, uh, variable rates fertilizer spreaders with the gps precision and um, there's yeah. a possibility of doing hundreds i suppose but, I suppose but for is, the yeah. normal for the normal kind of guy that's out there at the moment or farmers out there at the moment um as you say probably down to four hectares seems sufficient yeah Karen, i am delighted to talk to you um a huge amount of inf- information on that thanks very much for your time and hopefully we might chat again soon lovely thanks a million so that's it for this week and my thanks to karen for joining me on the podcast this week Join me next week for the final episode in the soil series where I chat to Professor Mike McLaughlin again about improving soils, including the versatility of organic manures. Finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. and I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.